there are nominal sports fans that are people who say they, they follow a team, like a team or whatever, but in reality, uh, they don't really go to any games. They don't really um, follow the sport real closely. They definitely, well, they may watch it on TV occasionally if some other fans happen to be watching it. Uh, they may catch the big games. If they're in the championship game, oh, I'll watch that one. But really, they're not going to buy any of the paraphernalia. They're not going to uh, go out and really make a loud noise saying, hey, I belong to this team. Those are nominal, nominal sports fans. Then there's your average sports fan, which this person's a little bit more intense about his loyalty. He, he uh, may uh, go to a game occasionally, but not regularly. Uh, he may uh, watch it on TV pretty regularly and try to follow his team. He's going to pay attention. He knows where they are in the standings, and he knows how they're doing. And he may know some of the players on the team, but not a lot of them. And he might occasionally buy a you know, piece of paraphernalia, something that says, hey, I like this team. And then there's your hardcore fans. Now, these are the guys that you see on TV with their faces painted and, or other parts of their body painted, their chest painted or whatever, or, or they have the team name, like, uh, like a, take a razor and they write the name in their hair or something, you know. They wear the colors. These, are, these people are hardcore fans, or you might call them fanatics. They, they love this team, and they, they're going to go to as many games as they can they're definitely going to follow everything on, that's happening on TV with their team. They know all the stats. They know all the history of their team. Uh, they follow it with a passion. And so what I want us to see this morning is in Psalm 150, David's calling for us not to be nominal worshipers of God. He's not even calling for us to be average worshipers of God. He's calling for us to be hardcore worshipers of God. Passionate, hardcore worshipers of God. Psalm 150 is going to be our last psalm in the Summer Psalms series. I've enjoyed doing the Summer Psalms, and I think Deemer enjoyed uh, preparing the messages that he uh, preached this summer. Just taking a break from going through Acts and, and just, just enjoying these psalms, which are just pure worship. And so this psalm is just such an appropriate psalm for us to end on. It's just pure praise. If you can't get the point of this psalm, from just reading it. Let me help you out. The word praise, the verse, the only verb in the whole psalm. There's one verb. It's the verb praise, and it happens 13 times. So the point of the psalm is praise, to praise the Lord. And David wants us to be hardcore worshipers of God. And that's what we see here in this psalm. It really leaves us no choice. There's no such thing as a nominal worshiper of God or a average worshiper of God. That's insufficient. We're called to be hardcore worshipers of God. Now, that can be confusing. I don't mean hardcore in the sense that we latch on to rituals and symbols or systems of worship in such a way that we become legalists. What I'm talking about is something much greater than that. Hearts sold out for God, for His namesake, which will certainly mean we do do rituals and, and symbols and, and follow certain traditions, but our heart, our desire, is to bring glory to God. As I mentioned, this psalm here has the verb praise in it 13 times. But think about that first phrase in, in verse 1, praise the Lord, and how sort of flippantly we use that, right? You know, we, you know, 
something happens, you know, it can be like, oh, the light turned green. Praise the Lord. I've been waiting at this light forever. And we just kind of throw it out there. Praise the Lord. Kind of like what Demer was talking about a few weeks back with the word blessed. You bless my socks off. Very interesting. The, the Psalms start with the word blessed and end with the word praise. And if you can take the whole of Psalms and say happy is the man who's a hardcore worshiper of God. And you can really see that that's kind of the bookends of, of the whole book of Psalms. But we just kind of throw it out there. Oh, you know, um, someone would call you on the phone and say, oh, you've got to know what happened. You know, uh, this happened in our life. Um, you know, so-and-so's, you know, getting married or whatever. Oh, just praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. And we just throw it out there. And, and I think because we do just kind of throw it out there, we, we've sort of trivialized the word. We've sort of drained it of its weight, of what it is that we are to be doing. Um, or you hear people say, hallelujah. You know, it just, that just comes out, oh, you know, whatever. Hallelujah. That's just wonderful. Um, you know, my kids got into, got onto that, that, um, that spelling bee team that only had three openings. And, oh, yes, hallelujah. You know, we're just, we just hallelujah here, hallelujah there. Now, the word hallelujah is actually from this very um, phrase here, praise the Lord. That's what it is. The word could, might be translated in your Bible, hallelujah, because that's what it means. Praise the Lord comes from the word halal, and the word yah is the contraction for the divine name, Yahweh. So it's hallelujah. That's where we get hallelujah from. You may have wondered, what does that word mean? We just kind of say hallelujah, hallelujah. And have you ever thought about what it means? Well, what it means is it's, it's basically the Hebrew of this phrase here, praise the Lord. Hallelujah means praise ye the Lord. Now, worship is trivialized enough in our culture, and so we must guard against it. We must guard against using biblical words like praise the Lord in a way that brings a diminishing understanding of what it actually means to praise the Lord. So often in our culture today, we come to church with hearts wanting entertainment with sort of a God-tinted packaging. Or we want self-help, inspiration kind of dressed up in biblical lingo. That's not what David is talking about here. David is talking about what the Christian ought to be doing. Hardcore worshiping of God. And that's what the Psalms are all about. And it's particularly Psalm 150. Little, puny, feeble worship is offensive to a big, mighty, and powerful God. If God were represented by the size, scope, and magnitude of much of the praise that comes out of our churches today, well, then he'd be seen as a small God, a God of our making, a God in our image. Spurgeon once said, If men are dull in the worship of the Lord our God, they are not acting consistently with the character of their religion. So when you think about it, going back to a sports analogy here, if your team is good... If the team you're cheering for, let's say your baseball team is good, they're succeeding, what do you usually see? You see the stands are more full, and, and the people are more passionate. But if your team's at the bottom of the table, and you know, just trading away all their players before the trade deadline to try to free up some cash or something, and, and the stands are sort of empty, and the people are kind of dull, and they're just showing up to, to get entertained, they're not really showing up to cheer on their team towards its goal. And so when we have a puny view of our God, and And when our worship is puny, it shows the world that our God is puny. But when our worship is big and passionate and mighty, it shows the world that our God is big and mighty. 
And so our worship needs to be reflective of who God is. And let me clear up something real quick here. Praise, the word praise is not a type of music we sing. Uh, That's kind of a comment today. You know, we have our preaching portion of the service and our praise and worship portion of the service. That's not at all what the biblical word means. It's not identified with a type of music or a style of music. It involves everything that we do in worshiping God. So let me give you a definition of this word uh, praise. It literally means in the Hebrew to shine, to make known, to make a show of or to show off, uh, to boast about, to rave about, to become clamorously foolish about, to celebrate, to magnify. I like this one, to flash forth. And here's one, to act insanely about or to go mad about. That's what the word means in the Hebrew, to, to act insanely about or to go mad about something. And so when we praise God, we're, we're shining forth the glory of God. So really the picture of the word in the Hebrew, to kind of give you an illustration this morning, is kind of like this. This is a mirror here, and uh, the purpose, what, what we are to do as believers is to shine Christ. Okay, we're to shine God. So let's see here if I can shine this light in some of y'all's eyes out there, all right? There we go. How's that? All right, good. It's working. To shine the glory of God. That's what our purpose is. That's what praise is. Now, think about it. Praise, as you're looking at this mirror here, your attention is not being drawn to the mirror. Your attention is being drawn to the light. Where's that light coming from? What's going on there? There's a reflection coming off of that mirror. That's coming. Your attention is being drawn to the light. You can turn it off. I'll quit blinding people here. Not to the mirror. And that's what praise is all about. We're shining forth God. We're shining forth His glory. And the attention doesn't come to us. We should be like John the Baptist. His attitude was that I must decrease, is what he said. And he, Jesus, must increase. And so that's our goal in praising God is for Him to increase, for people to see His glory. We just become an instrument to make that happen. And so we're kind of like the mirror here. And of course, if you want to take the mirror analogy further, what will diminish the mirror's ability to accomplish its goal, which is to shine and to reflect, is if it's dirty, if it's not clean. And so we come to the Lord this morning, we talk about praise. One of the first steps we need to take is to come to the Lord in repentance and confession and ask Him to cleanse us so that we can be the vessels He wants us to be and we can shine the way He wants us to shine. Jesus is calling to Himself passionate worshipers, not nominal worshipers, not average worshipers. He wants die-hard, hard-line, extreme worshipers that are uncompromising. Now, I know in today's world it's unpopular to, to, and we may even fear using words like extreme or radical. Because if you're extreme or radical, you get labeled as, as crazy or even as dangerous. But what David is calling for here is an extreme and radical worship of God. And also in today's world where our beliefs are said to be private, lest we potentially offend someone else in our exuberance, we need to be willing to make our praise public, to let people know who we really serve. In today's world where personal experience trumps objective truth, we are to be worshipers that are confident and passionate about what we know to be true because Jesus himself and his spirit resides in our hearts. God is calling worshipers who want to worship Christ in spirit and in truth. The spirit bears witness to the truth and the truth gives fuel to the spirit. 
And thus we overflow in white, hot exuberance for God and the great things that he's done through Christ who has triumphed over our enemies. So we praise him. It's exuberant, energetic, vigorous, irrepressible praise is what we're called to do. And that's what this word means. And so that's what I want us to look at this morning. And I want us to think about that. As we close today, when we close with our prayer time, I want to, in case I forget to mention it then, I want you to do it a little bit different today. I want you to take those blue slips you have. They're not just prayer slips. I want them to be praise slips. And I want you to take, write something down about God that you want to praise Him for. And go ahead and put it in that bucket. If someone takes it out, it's something they're going to be praising God for this week. So I'd like for all, everyone who feels led to participate in the response time by putting a praise in the basket over here, praising God for who He is. So this psalm structure is pretty straightforward. It clearly breaks down into four segments. The four segments all deal with this verb praise and explain something about praise. So basically we see four answers to four questions in this psalm. And here's, the, here's our four questions. Where are we to praise God? Why are we to praise God? How are we to praise God? And who is to praise God? And basically that's simply the structure that Davis gives us here in this psalm. So let's go to the first question. Where are we to praise God? David says, praise the Lord, praise Him in. He wants to praise us in a lo- He's giving us a place to worship God. So we are to praise Him in His sanctuary is the first thing David says. The sanctuary was the place where God's people gathered to worship God. It's the place where God's people gathered for intercession, to, to experience God, to, to, to get to know God, to hear from God. That's what the sanctuary was. In the Old Testament, we read the sanctuary was, was the tabernacle. And then later, it, it was the temple. The literal translation is, in his holy places. The Septuagint even translates it, in his holy saints. And certainly God's people, the saints, are his holy ones, set apart. Now, in the New Testament context, if we are truly God's saints, God's holy ones, if we've received Christ, he now dwells in us through his spirit, thus we Christians are the place where God's glory dwells, through his spirit. And therefore, we are temples of the Holy Spirit, and we should be living sacrifices. But in the context of this psalm here, David is certainly referring to a specific place, a location. He's referring to the place where God's people gathered where God's glory dwelt. He's talking about the sanctuary of God. So we see here the principle of God's people gathering to a specific location, which should involve the praise of his people. David begins here by referring to a limited scope, a specific place to worship God. So we praise God, we shine forth God by gathering together with other worshipers to ascribe glory to his name, to make him famous, to make much of him, to maximize him. Yet to confine God to just a place of worship like a church building or even the tabernacle or the temple is too limited. So David goes on. The next thing he says, praise him in his mighty heavens. So now David moves from the specific, from a limited uh, place to more of an unlimited, non-specific place. But what does he mean here when he says mighty heavens? Some of the commentators I read believe that David is referring here to angelic worship in the heavenly realms, which certainly happens. The angels are constantly worshiping 
God the Father. They are worshiping right now in the heavenly realms. And that's certainly possible. But there are other commentators, and I tend to side with them, that believe that David here is referring to all the realm of nature being a stage for praising God. Not just his sanctuary, not just the church, but all of nature is the stage to worship God. And the reason I believe that's the right interpretation here is because of the word he uses here when he says, mighty heavens. And I think one clue to understand what David means is to see where else that word is used. In Genesis 1, 6, that word is used. It says, and God said, let there be an expanse. That word expanse is the word used here for mighty heavens. It's used multiple times in the scriptures to describe God's creation. He created an expanse between the waters of the, the, between the waters and separated the waters from above from the waters from below. All throughout scripture we read the expanse being the sky, but beyond that being all the stars and all the planets and all the universe. And that's the expanse that God has created beyond our earthly realm. And I believe that's what David is talking about here. He says, you can praise God and you are to praise God in the gathering of his people. But you know what? That's not a big enough stage for an infinite God. So praise him in all the universe. Every bit of everything he created is to be a stage for worshiping the one true God. And so the clue here that David's referring to creation is the way that this word is used. But also... The what he refers to in the next verse when he talks about God's mighty deeds. And we see mighty heavens and we see mighty deeds. And we see this parallel that David is drawing. And usually the Hebrew, when he thought about God's mighty deeds, first and foremost on the list of God's mighty deeds was creation. And so all of creation is to be a stage for worshiping the one true God. The Bible even says that his invisible attributes, his eternal power, his divine nature can be clearly perceived in creation, according to Paul in Romans 1.20. As uh, Olivia and I were driving back from South Carolina this week after dropping, had to go drop my mom off halfway between uh, here and her home in North Carolina to meet my dad. We didn't just drop her off there and have her walk. She met my dad there. Uh, So we dropped her off to meet my dad, and on our way back, um, Olivia was just sitting in the back seat, just kind of a, a, just a quiet time. We weren't really saying much. And there was this amazing cloud formation that we just all of a sudden saw. We, we'd gone in and out of some pockets of rain, but there was this cloud formation, just those really big, you know, puffy clouds, the ones that when you're kids you like to look at a lot to see how many different things you could see. And, and so it was really big, puffy clouds, and the sun was behind these clouds, so it, it created this glow around the clouds. And of course, there were little breaks in the clouds, so these beams were shooting through the clouds and coming from behind the clouds. And you know, you've seen artists draw these, you know, like the, the, the lines, or the beams behind a cloud. This is the first time it actually looked that much like what the artists draw. It's just these straight lines of beams just coming out, just every direction behind this cloud, and, 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 and we both looked at this cloud and, and began to just talk about how awesome God is. <laughs> Isn't that just amazing? It looked like God was actually coming right then and there. And Olivia even said, is that what it's going to be like when Jesus comes back? And I said, you know, I think it's going to be even greater than that. <laughs> it's going to be much greater than that. But just with this glorious view of, of the heavens. And, and, and it was an opportunity just to praise God because Because this coming here on Sunday morning is a great stage to worship God, but it's not enough. We need all the earth to be a stage to bring praises to our God, to shine forth His glory. And creation does that. 
And so we see here in David what he's talking about is that we are to worship God not only in a specific limited place, but in a non-specific unlimited place, which is all of creation, is to be a place for worshiping God. So the answer to my question here, where are we to praise God? The answer is this. We are to praise God. We are to praise Him here and everywhere. And when I say here, I'm referring to the gathering of His people. We are to come here and we are to praise God. We are to praise God. We should come here with such zeal and enthusiasm. And I know we're, we're all weak and we are all sinners and we all come in with different baggage and different distractions. But we, we shouldn't have to have our, our, our worship leaders say, okay, everyone stop. Let's, let's stretch. We should be ready. And come in here with exuberance and excitement to just praise God for who He is. And not have to be woken up. Because you know what? This is only one stage for worshiping God. It's an important stage. But it should be going on all week long. We should be observing God in the clouds. We should be observing God in the things He's doing in our life. We should be praising Him and worshiping Him every minute of every day. And of course, we're all sinners and fall way short of that standard. But we should be aiming for it. We should be going after God hard and asking Him to do a work in our heart that creates, makes us better praisers of His name. So there's a limited, specific place and time to worship God with a gathering of His people, and there's an unlimited, non-specific place to worship God, which is everywhere at all times. Now David's going to go to our next question, which is, why are we to praise God? Why are we to praise God? Verse 2, it says, praise Him for His mighty deeds. We are to praise God... For what he has done. Israel used to build memorial stones. And that's where we got our, 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 our idea for doing these stones over here. Because if you haven't heard our story, being a family integrated church, we, we went to Joshua chapter 4 and looked at that passage where, where Joshua built the memorial stones. He took 12 stones out of, the, out of the river, out of the Jordan River after they had crossed it. And, and God said, the reason I want you to build these memorial stones is so that when your children ask... You can tell them the great things that God has done. And so Israel was all about memorial stones and, and memorial festivals to celebrate what God had done. Psalm 78, 4 says, We will not hide them from their children, but tell to the coming generations the glorious deeds of the Lord and His might and the wonders that He has done. God has done great things and He is to be praised for all that He's done. You think about it, it's our nature to praise people who do great things. You see the basketball player soar through the air with the greatest of ease and slam the ball. And you know you can't do that and he just did something amazing. And you jump up because it's in your nature to praise something that's great. Or you see the golfer with the greatest of ease just take that shot that you would normally hit out into the woods and it lands just two feet from the cup and you go, wow, amazing. Or you hear that musician take this bow and run it across these strings that if you did it, it would sound like a cat was being murdered. But they do it and it's beautiful and it moves you and your emotions are stirred and you can't help it. You can't stop it. Or, or you watch that actor in the movie or on a, in a play portray a character so much that you get immersed in who this character is and you can't help but be drawn into the story and so it's our nature it's in our dna to praise when we see great things done how much more then should we be praising god with white hot exuberance and passion for the great things he's done which 
make everything else pale in comparison. We're hardwired to praise. But unfortunately, we praise those other things so much that we ignore what really deserves our praise, what really deserves our excitement. I, I'm convicted of this. Every time I, I get excited watching a sporting event, and I think, how come I can't get this excited about God sometimes? Sometimes I do, but oftentimes I don't. And let's just be honest. We're sinners, and we block out the great deeds of God and entertain ourselves with the deeds of men. And it happens so easily. And so we are to be praising God for what he's done and what he is doing. And I keep knocking this little thing down, so I'm going to move it over here. So how do we bring to mind, how do we bring to mind the works of God, the mighty works of God? Well, we must be a people of this book. Let me just say that. All right. This tithe check really wants to get in here, so I'm going to go ahead and put it in there. All right. How are we to know the mighty deeds of God? We are to be a people of this book. We are to be a people reading this. Read the Gospels on a regular basis so you can read the works of Christ, what he has done. I've, I've just started a new journey myself, going what I call a really slow journey through John. I just want to read it very, very slowly and just savor the works of Christ. To be convicted by the works of Christ. To be changed by the works of Christ. And so we are to be people of this book if we are going to be people who worship God for what he has done. We are no longer a people in need of memorial stones to tell us what God has done. We have a testimony from God himself about what he has done. And so we are to praise him for what he's done. And we're also to be people who remember, who memorialize, who celebrate great things that he's done in our life. Pam back there with great joy and satisfaction on her face and tears in the corners of her eyes had that little camera out. And so wait, i got to get your picture because I was, I was kind of late getting back there this morning. I mistimed everything. And I'm rushing in. All right, Jordan, just get ready. And she goes, can I get your picture? I said, yeah. So we turn around, and she takes that picture. And she's going to keep that picture. And she's going to treasure that picture. And she's going to remember the great things that God has done and is doing and will do in Jordan's life. And that's where to be people who do that, who celebrate those things, who memorialize those things, who, who come up with traditions in our own homes. Develop traditions in your homes that your children want to pass on to their children that celebrate what God's done in your lives. And finally, if we want to be people who bring to mind the works of God, well, this takes for granted all these other two things I've mentioned. It takes for granted that we're going to be people who are, people who are sensitive to God's move and to God's works. His mighty acts are sometimes quiet, sometimes behind the scenes. Sometimes they're only mentioned in whispers that are hard to hear if we're so distracted by the world. God's mighty deeds aren't always thunderous deeds. Sometimes they're very quiet deeds. We've got to be sensitive people to what God is doing in our lives. I'm afraid I'm going to get to heaven, and we're all going to get to heaven, and, and I'm going to praise God forever, and that's going to be wonderful. But there is going to be a day of judgment for Christians as well when, when all of our deeds, our good and our bad, are, are laid to bear, to bear for, for us to see, for the world to see. And then when that judgment gavel 
wants to come down on our evil deeds that should separate us from God forever, Jesus intervenes and says, I've paid the price. And we see his nail-scarred hand. And he take, has already taken the, the punishment for us. And so we are ushered into heaven for eternity of praise. But I believe that God will show us. There were so many times in your life I did something, a mighty deed. You just didn't see it. You didn't see that that cancer was a mighty deed to bring you closer to me. You didn't see what I did in your life in little ways. Quiet whispers. And so we should be people who are always asking God's Spirit to work in us to make us more sensitive to see His mighty deeds. Job said in Job 26, 14, talking about creation, he said, Behold, these are but the outskirts of His ways. And how small a whisper do we hear of Him. But the number of His power, who can understand? Job's, he compares nature to a whisper. If, cre- if that cloud that O.G. and I saw was a whisper, then how much more sensitive do I need to be to the even more subtle things that he's doing in my life, the deeds that he's doing in our lives? So let's pray for the sensitivity. And let's be a generation like Psalm 145 says, verse 4, one generation shall commend your works, your deeds, and shall declare your mighty acts. So the first answer to Question number two, and I'm not going to put it up there yet, but question number two, the first answer to why we are to uh, praise God involves declarative praise based upon the record of what he's done. Declarative praise based upon the record of what he has done. But to love God for what he's done and to praise him for his works alone is insufficient. David knew that, so he goes beyond just praising God for his deeds. And the next thing he says in this psalm, praise him according to his excellent greatness. It can be translated his exceeding greatness. Literally, it means the muchness of his greatness. But we don't let our kids use grammar like that, do we? The muchness of his greatness, but that's what it means. Praise God for the muchness of his greatness, his exceeding greatness, his excellency. This involves praising God for his nature, for who he is, for his character. It involves knowing and believing and exulting in his divine attributes. When we come together, we, do, we come together to worship God not solely because of what He's accomplished in our lives. We come to God to worship Him even more importantly because He's God. <laughs> not just because of the things He's done in our life, but because of who He is. We worship God because He is independent, self-existent, self-sufficient, the great I Am. He's immutable, unchangeable. The same yesterday, today, and forever. He's eternal, the ancient of days. He's omnipresent, everywhere at all times. Omniscient, knowing all things at all times. He's omnipotent, all-powerful and sovereign. He is one God, yet is three in one. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. In perfect unity, in perfect love, in perfect fellowship within the Godhead. He is set apart, holy, incorruptible, perfect in all His ways. He's righteous and just and rightly judges sin in perfect wrath. Therefore, he is to be feared, feared by the sinner, for sinners are indeed in the hands of an angry God, and to be feared by the saints, for he rightly disciplines us as sons, his beloved. 
He does so because He is a jealous God who deserves and demands the love of His creatures. He is creator and sustainer, the sovereign giver and taker of life, for He is the author of life. He is the love personified, mercy exemplified, grace glorified. He is free and in no way a reactionary God waiting on the will and the whims of men, but He is a proactive God doing as as He sees fit, for His purposes shall stand. He's beautiful, glorious, majestic, blessed, good, truthful, wise, simple, and magnificent beyond description. Yes, he is uncontainable. Thus words fail to do him justice. And far too trees exist on the earth to provide enough paper and pens to describe him in words. It's impossible to get a full understanding of his nature, his character, his divine being. For he is God, Yahweh, the great I Am. And all we can do is hope to get a glimpse of his backside. Amen. So all we can do is hope to get a glimpse of this glorious God. He's unlimited. Infinitely glorious. And our praise should correspond to that. Does our praise correspond to that? It should. David says, praise him in this verse here, according to his excellent greatness. Does that not frustrate you? Because how can I praise him according to his greatness? Because I'm so finite. When I read this psalm and I wrote, uh, the the way I prepare for sermons, I write the verse out and then I start just writing notes and cross-references and seeing connections and different things. And I wrote beside this, I circled it and I said, how God, how am I to do that? How can I worship you according to your greatness because I'm finite. And I felt the Holy Spirit say within me, that's the point. Because your true worship will continue in infinity. Because your worship will continue. Right now you're only getting a glimpse. You're looking through a mirror dimly. But one day you'll be in the presence of God. And His glory, His majesty, His character is so amazing, so overwhelming, that it will take an infinity to continue to worship Him and worship Him and worship Him and worship Him. So that's how we worship him according to his greatness. It keeps on going. It just starts here. And we should be people who worship God with a passion because he deserves it. He deserves every ounce of your passion. If the very nature of God doesn't cause emotions to rise and affections to increase and joy to bubble up from your soul, then you're not going to enjoy heaven. Matter of fact, you may not be on the way to heaven. I'll just say it that simply. If the things we read a minute ago about God's nature, which are all from the Scripture, don't get you excited, you're going to have a difficult time in heaven. Matter of fact, you might not be in heaven. Because I believe there are affections for God that correspond with salvation. There are evidences that we love God and we want Him above everything else. Those evidences are the evidence that God has done a work in our heart. And yes, we grow in that passion. I'm not saying that you can't grow in that passion. But it has to be there. Jesus said it Himself. He said, many will come to me on that day and say, Lord, Lord, didn't we do some good stuff for you? Some pretty amazing stuff, matter of fact. Miracles. Lord, Lord, didn't we do all this stuff for you? And He says, Away from me, for I never knew you. Meaning they never knew him either. 
They never knew his character. They never knew who he was. They didn't know these things about him. They didn't care to know about those things. They cared about a God after their own making. And he said, away from me. They're calling me Lord. But away from me. So we would examine our own hearts when David tells us to worship God according to his excellent greatness. Deuteronomy 3, 24 says, Oh, Lord God, you have only begun to show your servant your greatness and your mighty hand, his character and his deeds. And, of course, the greatest deed that God has done and the greatest means by which he has shown his character is the cross. The greatest deed... We're talking about his deeds and his character. The greatest deed that God has ever done and the greatest means by which he demonstrates his character is the cross of Jesus Christ. Christian praise. We praise God, Christians, because he has worked a mighty redemption on our behalf. He has done it. It is his work, not ours. He gets the credit. It is his deed. He is the one who, from before the foundation of the world, planned for his son to be slain as a perfect sacrificial lamb. No deed is greater than this deed that he has done. This lamb would die in the place of sinners, absorbing the full wrath of God the Father on their behalf, atoning for their sin, and and would in return justify them before God, imputing his own righteousness to them. And by his rising from the dead, this sacrifice of the one and only Son of God was shown to be perfect, acceptable, and complete, and thus death was conquered once and for all. And so those in him not only have died to sin by dying in him, but we've also been raised to new life. By being raised in him. He is our death. He is our resurrection. This is a mighty act of God. There's no greater deed than the cross. It's the greatest deed that's ever been accomplished by God. And God's perfect and glorious character was shown on the cross. For he's a merciful God. Gracious. Slow to anger. Abounding in steadfast love. Forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. Oh Christian. That glorious glimpse of the mercy of God. That that glorious glimpse of just part of God that Moses had when he asked to see God is seen fully at the cross when God forgave sinners and demonstrated the greatness of the glory of his grace. And this glorious God is also a just and righteous God who can by no means clear the guilty, who must judge sin. It never has that truth of God's nature been more fully seen than on the cross where Christ stood in our steed and took took the wrath of God, the just and righteous wrath of God, taking on our guilt, the guilt that we could not clear ourselves of, receiving the judgment for sin that we were due. Oh, the glory of the nature and character of God that shines forth at Calvary, more so than any other place in history. The cross is the greatest deed, and it's the greatest demonstration of his character in all of history. So let me get to our question here. Why are we to praise God? We are to praise God for who he is, And what he has done. As I said earlier, we are to have declarative praise for what he's done that is shown forth in the record of his deeds. But we are also to have descriptive praise for who he is that is shown forth in the revelation of his person. So in this book, we have a record of his deeds and we have a revelation of his character. And so we have declarative praise that declares what he's done in the record of his deeds. And we have descriptive worship that describes who he is because of the revelation of his character. Both are part of what David is talking about here. Now to our last couple of questions. 
How are we to praise God? I'll go ahead and answer it for you real quick. We are to worship God with all that we are and with all that we have. We are to worship God with all that we are and all that we have. Now, in this next section here, David gives us a list of instruments. Praise him with the trumpet sound. Praise him with the lute and harp. Praise him with the tambourine and dance. Praise him with strings and pipe. Praise him with sounding cymbals. Praise him with loud clashing cymbals. These instruments are instruments that were culturally native to the Israelite people. We don't need to impose our modern understanding of these instruments onto the text here. You know, when they're talking about a trumpet, they're talking about a horn made from the, the, the I mean, a, a trumpet made from the horn of a, of a bull, not the brass instrument with the little pegs on top that, that we play. So don't impose our modern understanding on this. But, and, and I'm not going to take time to go into a, a long description of what each instrument is or how they were used. But I want us to see what David's intention is here for giving us this full list of instruments. He gives us a, a pretty full list here of the instruments that were used in Israel for a variety of different things. He wants us to see that nothing is to be kept back from worshiping God. Nothing is to be held back. Give him everything you've got. Let's throw it all at him. The trumpets, the cymbals, the tambourines. Let's throw it all at God because he deserves it all. These different instruments have all sorts of different purposes. Some were used to declare war. Others were used to celebrate victory after war. Others were used to bring peaceful soothing to the soul. Others were used in wedding feasts. Some were used in times of national celebration. Others were used in peacetime festivals or commemorations. Others were used for calling people to solemn assemblies. And they were different instruments. We have strings, wind instruments, percussion, and even dance. We have loud, unashamed noises, and we have soft, unassuming notes. This is the, there's a harmonious diversity here in these descriptions. And you might say, well, what about the voice? Well, the voice is assumed because of verse 2. We talk about praising God for who he is and what he's done. The voice is assumed. You can't do that without using your voice. So the voice is already assumed here. So what's David's point? David's point is that we are to worship God at all times. As he talks about how all these, all these different instruments were used for all kinds of different festivals, for different parts of life. We're to worship God at all times. We're to worship God with all that we've got, all the means available to us. We're to praise God in good times, peaceful times, times of turmoil, times of joy, times of celebration, times of fear and discouragement. All of that are times that we are to be worshiping God. And the other thing to note here is how these instruments are played. David here mentions wind instruments, which use the breath, string instruments, and, and percussion that use the hands, dance that uses the feet. And the picture here is of wholeness, our whole being. Our hands, our feet, our breath, it's all to be used to worship God. That's the picture here David gives us as he lays out these different instruments. Augustine said of this passage, No kind of faculty here is omitted. All are enlisted in praising God. We're to worship God with all of our being. With all of who we are and all that we have. That is what God told Israel to do in Deuteronomy 6.4. The very command that Jesus said is the greatest command. Which is here, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. The first four commandments are wrapped up into this one commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And that's the picture here that David is describing as he lays out these instruments. That's what he wants us to see. Love the Lord your God with everything, with all that you've got, all the time, with all your heart, with all your passion. So we're to praise God with all that we are and all that we've got. Everything that you have is meant to bring glory to God. Praise Him with your home. 
by practicing Christian hospitality. Praise Him with your finances. Praise Him with your skills, your job, your education, your talents, your giftedness, your humor, your seriousness. Praise Him in the good times and the bad. Praise Him with your family. That's how we're to praise God. Whether we eat, drink, whatever we do, we're to do it to the glory of God. We are to be living sacrifices. Final question. Who is to praise God? And the answer is everything and everyone should praise God. Verse 6. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. You know nature doesn't have to be told to praise God. The animals, the lions don't have to be told, hey, praise God now. They do it by their very existence, by their power, by the roar that the lion lets out. It praises God. The bird doesn't have to praise. You have to go tell the birds, hey, sparrows, start praising God. They praise God by their mere dependence on Him to provide food. Just natural. It's their instinct to praise God. The flowers don't have to praise God. These up here can't. They're plastic, all right? The ones out there, they don't have to be told to praise God. They're already dressed in dress that's more splendorous than Solomon's greatest outfits. They praise God by simply being there. There's only one creature, there's only one item that was created that has to be told to praise God because it rebels, and that is men. But the only creatures that don't do it instinctively. Instead, we instinctively rebel. We instinctively fight back because we're corrupt to the core. We're totally depraved. Now, David in this passage here, in this part, he may not be referring to nature. He may just be referring to man in this verse. Okay? I think we can confidently say what I just said, that all of nature, everything that has breath, does praise the Lord. But I believe David might be calling here just talking about men. Other places in the Scriptures, like it'll say all flesh should bring praises to God. We know that it's referring to people. All people should come. And so I think David here is using a general term, but he's talking about people. And here's why. I didn't believe that until I studied this passage this week. But here's why. Because in this passage here, the verb praise is used how many times? Thirteen, right? The previous eleven times and the one time after this verse, or at the very end of this passage, it's used in the present tense. And it's imperative. It's a command. Praise the Lord. But in this one instance, it is used in the future tense. I thought, why? Why is David saying... Let everything praise the Lord like it's a future thing. Because I think David knows. David knows that one day, all the wicked and everyone, the righteous and the wicked alike, will worship God. One day, every man, everything that has breath, will be face to face with his maker. And he will worship God. One day, according to Paul, it says Jesus will return. And that every name, at the name of Jesus, every knee, should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. There will be a day when every man who breathes and every woman who breathes will praise the Lord. Some begrudgingly as their knees collapse and their voice rings out even though they don't want it to. But they can't help it because of His glorious might and His power that He displays when He comes and he judges the world. And others out of joy and celebration. But every breath, 
everyone will praise the Lord. So David's talking about the future here. Let every breath, everyone, sing praises to the Lord. David knew that people can only deny God so long before they'll be face to face with their maker in the presence of perfect holiness, radiant glory, perfection personified, and they'll not be able to keep their knees from collapsing to the ground and their tongues from uttering praise to the King of kings, to the Ancient of days, to the great God and Savior, the perfect Lamb, the great I Am. And so the psalm ends where it began. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let those words mean something. Don't trivialize them. Let them mean something in your life this week. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. And our response is going to be a little bit different today. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I want you to bring your praises to the Lord on those blue slips. Just bring them up here. Maybe you just want to write, I praise God because he's creator. Or I praise God for this thing he's done in my life. Whatever it might be, bring your praises to the Lord this morning. And let people take your praises and take them home and praise God for the same things. So let us respond this morning first in prayer and then bringing our offerings, bringing our praises. And if anyone needs to speak to me after the service or even during the response time, I'm right up here in the front and available. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give you all glory and we give you all praise. And we thank you, Lord, that you are a God to be worshipped, not in some sort of nominal way, not in some sort of average way. Oh, God, I don't want Harbin's to be a church of average worshipers. I want this to be a church of excited, passionate, hardcore worshipers who put you above everything else. But God, we know we're such sinners. We all fall short. And so God, there's so many times in my life, even different periods of the day, when I'm worshiping you the way I should and times when I'm not. Instead, I'm just worshiping the idol of self. And so God, I pray, Lord, that you come and show us, show us in our hearts, show us what we need to do to be, to be more passionate worshipers of you. God, open our eyes to who you are. Open our eyes to what you've done. Let us hear the whispers of what you've done. So that we'll go out this week, and when people see us, they say, what's up with you? We can say, hallelujah. He's a great God. Lord, as we come now and bring these, we pray that this sacrifice of praise would be acceptable to you. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand if you would. As we have our last song, you may be wondering, well, where's our praise team? We don't have our praise team right now. But go ahead and stand, please. We are going to sing a song. It's actually going to be on video, and we're going to sing the doxology. We're just going to sing praises to the Lord. We're going to play it up here. The words will be here. The song will be led through the video. Just sing along with it as we praise God for what he's done. familiar songs out. Sing these familiar words to the Lord this morning. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him all creatures
Son and Holy 